Welcome, ladies. What a joy it is to gather with you once again for Bible study. Whether you're meeting in a study at home or gathering virtually, I'm just thrilled to welcome you. And during this unique season in history, I think it is not a coincidence that we are going to be studying the book of Isaiah together. It is a treasure trove that highlights God's character. And I know that we are going to be both challenged and encouraged by this study of Isaiah called Revealed. So as we begin today, I first would love for you to get your study guide, pull it out, and please open to page four. I want to let you know that this study has been taken from another study by Calvary Church in Grand Rapids that had 23 lessons, and we've chosen nine of those lessons for us to study together this fall. So I just want to be sure to mention if there are any number references where there are some mistakes, um, this has happened inadvertently, just know that this study has kind of been collated for us. I want to encourage you as a group today to please take time to read through the welcome page and the scripture, to look at the map and uh, the timeline. But now let's look at page four, the study tips. So I want you to see how this study is formatted. Through the study, we're going to be using the tools of ob observation, inter interpretation, and application. So on day one, you're always going to be looking at an, an image in Isaiah. And that text from Isaiah will be included in your study guide. On day two, we're going to be looking at Old Testament cross-references. And then on day three, New Testament cross-references. Then on day four, you will begin some interpretation and seek to gain meaning from all the scriptures that you've studied. And then on days five and day six will be some time for more reflection and application. And I just wanna give you a little forewarning. You might be tempted to skimp out and to skip out on days five and six, but I encourage you to take that extra time for prayer and reflection and application on those days. During your small group time today, I just want to give you a few discussion questions that you'll get to uh, work through together in your small group. There's just three of them. What brought you to this study? What do you hope to gain from this study? And then also take a little time to reflect on, on today's teaching um, and answer this question. What truth hit home with you in today's lecture? So we've gotten to take a look at this wonderful study guide. I know this is going to be a great study. You, you're going to learn so much. And now let's go ahead and pray and we'll open God's word together. Let's pray. Our awesome God, we gather together today and we look to you and I pray that you would show us a new vision of who you are. Reveal yourself to us. And Lord, may we respond and trust. And Lord, just speak to each woman through your word during this time, even now, 
by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you know that during the summers, I love to spend time in Southern Michigan. And I've told this story many years ago. I was walking along the beach with my youngest son, who was a little guy at the time, and we were looking at the waves. And I was reminding him of how God loves him and that with each wave that he could remember that truth, that it was as if the waves were saying, God loves you, God loves you. And he looked up at me with his sweet eyes and he said, tell me again, mommy, tell me again, mommy. That young guy is now 21. <laughs> and I've been thinking once again, having spent time in Southern Michigan, walking the beach a lot this summer and taking time for prayer and reflection and thinking about this, that although I intended <laughs> to teach my son about God and his love for him, I think possibly I might have been encouraging my son to think that the whole world revolves around him. <laughs> If every, every wave is, is telling him that God loves him. And as I walked this summer looking at the waves, just been reminded that every wave speaks of who God is. And not just about his love, but about his justice and his power and his wisdom and his mercy. And wave after wave after wave um, keeps coming to the shore and just reminds me, reminds us of how great our God is and how it'll take our lifetime and through to eternity to get to know him more. And as we begin this study of Isaiah, this is my prayer for all of us, that there would be wave after wave after wave, that we would come to know God more um, through our study of Isaiah. Isaiah is a very powerful book in the Old Testament. And did you know it was one of the seven Dead Sea Scrolls that was discovered in Qumran in 1947? This scroll was found in almost in its entirety, and it dates back to 125 BC. Isaiah is called the fifth gospel because it's so clearly and boldly proclaims the message of the good news of salvation that's found through the Lord. It's also called the Romans of the Old Testament and has been called a great synopsis of the whole of the scriptures. It has 66 chapters, just like the Bible has 66 books. And there are two divisions in the book of Isaiah. One, 39 chapters, just like the Old Testament has 39 chapters. And then the second half has 20, 27 chapters, just like the New Testament has 27 books. Herbert Wolf has a wonderful summary of the book of Isaiah. He says, Isaiah sets forth God's case against sinners, unveils the wretchedness of the human heart, and reveals the way of salvation for Israel and the world. Now today, ladies, this is just a brief overview of the book of Isaiah. It is not comprehensive, so I want to encourage you to dig into the book of Isaiah on your own. If you have 15 minutes, go to the BibleProject.com website, and there are two videos on the book of Isaiah. View those. It will be a great overview. 
uh, of the book. Read the introduction in your study Bible on the book of Isaiah. And I would encourage you throughout our study to read just one chapter a day of Isaiah so that you can be catching a glimpse of the whole of the message of the book. Now, as you read through Isaiah, just a few tips. The whole first half, the first 39 chapters, are all about judgment. You may be tempted when you read to be pointing your finger at God's unfaithful people or at the other um, ungodly nations. I would encourage you, whenever you read those passages, passages on judgment, to turn your finger back to yourself because their vices and sins are very much our own today. Also, I want to encourage you to, to look for the moments of grace that are woven throughout this great book and also look for the many questions that are asked. Now, Isaiah is considered the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. But just a note on the prophets in general, God gave them messages to give to his covenant people. Much of the time though, when people think of the prophets or of prophecy, they focus solely on the idea that God gave these prophets messages to foretell events that would happen in the future. Yet I would say the priority for the prophets was for them to point God's people to him, to re remind them of his character and encourage them to live in faithful relationship with him as had been revealed in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. The prophets were to remind the people that they were to know God and to walk in his ways and to reflect his heart and glory in this world. Prophetic passages typically have three main focuses, sin, judgment, and restoration. Also, prophets much of the time spoke of events that took place in their time, in their generation, yet sometimes these same messages also would foretell of future events. One word of warning here, ladies. Throughout its history, Israel most often rejected its prophets and their messages from God. So let's ask the Lord to help us not harden our hearts today to Isaiah's message. And what is the message of the book of Isaiah? It's the, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord in all caps. He is the holy God who saves. Isaiah's name means the Lord saves or God is salvation. The Lord is the main character of the book of Isaiah. He is the Holy One to whom the whole world should revolve around. In my ESV introduction to the book of Isaiah, there's this sweet summary that just says this, the book of Isaiah reveals a God-centered way of seeing and living a God-centered way of seeing and living. And I think it's as if God is the sun and the whole, all of creation, all of the people throughout all of genera the generations are to be revolving around him. 
I'd like to give you a couple of key verses that would be a great summary of Isaiah's message. Isaiah 41, 14. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah calls the Lord the Holy One of Israel 25 times throughout this book. And it's amazing to think that the Holy One, the Holy One who is totally worthy of punishing sinners for their sin, yet he is the one who is the great Redeemer. The purpose of Isaiah's message would be to call the Lord's people to trust in him, to proclaim over and over again that the Lord is trustworthy. Isaiah reveals the Lord in all his glory. He is the Holy One who both judges and saves by his grace. He is bigger than their enemies and any powers in this world. He can forgive them and will restore them. Because of God's people's repeated faith faithlessness, they hid the light from the Gentiles. They were to be a light to the nations, but because they had not been walking with the Lord, the light that they were supposed to shine had gone dark. And so the Lord speaks through Isaiah to call the people back to himself, to encourage them to trust him fully and to walk with him faithfully so that they would fulfill their calling to be a light to the nations. One more key verse that points to Isaiah's message, Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Isaiah's sermons or oracles are full of messages of just judgment and restoration, warning and hope. He repeatedly highlights the depth of humanity's sin, the judgment that we truly deserve, and the wonder of our holy God who surprisingly saves sinners by his grace. He also beautifully foretells of a servant king, a suffering savior, who will bring peace to humanity, and of the ultimate restoration of all things, of the new heaven and the new earth that will come at the end of time. And then now we go to the setting of the book of Isaiah. If you open up to page 8 in your study guide, you will find a timeline. Isaiah was a prophet when God's people were divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Isaiah was a prophet to the people of Judah from approximate at least 740 BC to the 680s BC. So he had a long ministry. And mind you, we know that he lived about 700 years before Christ's birth. That's when he lived and that's when he prophesied. During this time, Judea's, Judah's prosperity was on the decline and the threat of Assyria's power was rising. God's people would see Israel conquered and taken captive to Assyria. And because of their continued rebellion against the Lord, their covenant God, they would eventually be exiled to Babylon. Now, it's 
it's, I have said that you can divide the book of Isaiah into two sections. And I just want to clearly mention to you that the first section, chapters 1 to 39, are addressing God's people during this era of the divided kingdom, during Isaiah's own time period in the 8th century BC. But the second half of, of the book seems to be addressing the people when they are in the Babylonian exile in the 6th century BC, many, many years later. And then in the last chapters, especially chapters 56 to 66, it could even be that the people are being addressed after the exile once they've returned again to the land. So let's look at the structure of the book of Isaiah. Chapters 1 to 39 have a very strong message. Judgment is coming. It's as if there's an onslaught of judgment. It's coming in wave after wave after wave. But please know, whenever the Lord brings judgment, messages of judgment through his prophets, it's always with a warning, and it's always with the goal of purifying them and and encouraging them to be restored to him. In chapters 1 to 6, we find the introduction. In chapters 7 to 39, we find that the, the message is judgment, but interwoven with the judgment, there are words of promise. In chapters 1 to 6, you will see just the introduction and especially in, in chapter 1, which we'll be looking at very, very closely in our first three lessons, our message on God as Father, our message on atonement, where, where it speaks of being washed white as snow, and um, the message on God's re refining fire. Those three lessons are all in that first chapter, which really are a great synopsis and introduction to the whole of the book. The Lord promises to judge his people because they've turned away from him, because they are proud, because they are not treating people well. They've turned to other gods and other nations for security and refuge. And the Lord is proclaiming to them that this is folly. The other gods are powerless and the other nations are under God's judgment as well. There is a sweet message regarding the future of God's people in chapters 6 to, to verse 6 of verse 12, where the message is that your guilt can be taken away. In chapters 13 to 27, we find God's judgment, once again, woven in with God's grace for the world. In chapters 28 to 35, God's word to the world. In chapters 36 to 39, there's a historical transition that gives an account of Hezekiah, which very boldly asks this question, in whom do you now trust? The second half of the book of Isaiah, chapters 40 to 66, could be summed up with hope for rest restoration. One commentary calls these chapters a rushing torrent of oracles of redemption, a rushing torrent of messages of God's hope for their restoration. In chapters 40 to 55, it's a message of comfort with judgment. Here, the people are in exile in Babylon. They are in despair. 
They were wondering if God has forgotten them. They were wondering if God is powerful enough to defeat Babylon. They think God has just abandoned them. And then this beautiful verse, Isaiah 40, verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. The Lord is totally unique from the gods of the nations. He is transcendent. He is the sole creator of all. He is able to do just as he pleases. And, and another bold question is asked by the Lord through Isaiah, to whom will you compare me? Here, it's as if he's bringing the gods of the nations into court and saying, bring some evidence to me to show that you are a god. The Lord is not only supreme over the false gods of this world, but he will not be defeated by humanity's sin. And it's in this section here where we have the wonderful promises where Isaiah points to the coming Messiah who will be a suffering servant. We find the four servant songs, chapter 42, verses 1 to 7, chapter 49, verses 1 to 7, chapter 50, verses 4 to 9, chapter 52, beginning with verse 13 and going to the end of chapter 53. And then chapters 56 to 66, Proclaim the message of restoration with judgment. The Lord is, is encouraging the people to prepare for his coming glory. And he says, hold fast to my covenant. Covenant. This looks forward to Israel's future restoration. God's people are invited to do righteousness and to live faithfully in the light of their God. There's this vision of universal salvation. In chapter 59, we see that the Lord does within his people what they could not do on their own. He will make them a light to the nations. And Isaiah ends in chapter 65 and 66 with this vision of the new heavens and the new earth. So that is the structure of the book of Isaiah. Just another quick note. Isaiah's messages were addressed to God's covenant people. Sometimes he addresses them as Jacob or Israel or Zion or Jerusalem. But I want to remind you not to get too nationalistic or geographic in your interpretation. Isaiah's messages for God's covenant people throughout all generations. And these messages, yes, they were given to Israel and Judah, but they were meant for the whole world. Isaiah boldly rebukes all the nations for their unfaithfulness to God. And he also announces the good news of God's grace and salvation that is offered to any sinner who will turn to the Lord in faith. Let's finish up our time now just by looking at some themes in the book of Isaiah. The first is God is holy. We see this in Isaiah's call in Isaiah chapter 6. I encourage you to read this chapter on your own. But think of this, ladies. Moses got to meet with God up on the holy mountain. And when he asked to see God's glory, he got to see God's back. But here in Isaiah's call, he's caught up into this vision of the Lord in the heavenly temple. And it is absolutely awe-inspiring. 
Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. With two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah gets to capture this vision of the Lord in all of his glory. The Lord who is completely set apart where the foundations of the temple are shaking in his presence, the one who is high and lifted up, the one where the seraphim have to cover themselves in his presence. He is like no other. His holiness could consume people. And Isaiah is fully aware of the Lord's holiness and his own sin. And he says, woe is me, I am lost. And I think, oh ladies, when have we recently caught this vision of the Lord and all his holiness and responded, fallen on our faces before him, covered ourselves before him because of his holiness and because of our awareness of our own sin? God is holy, and we will see this throughout the book of Isaiah. God is also the just judge. He is the one who knows all and the one who will set things right someday. Isaiah 1, verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. This is so sad. God's own people have forsaken him, turned, turned away from him. They are estranged from him. They do not know him. And the Lord knows their sin. Isaiah 3 verses 8 to 11, for Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. The Lord knows the looks on our faces. He knows our words and our deeds. And he is just what we deal out will be done to us. Isaiah 47, verse 10. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. But evil shall come upon you. 
which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone, and ruin will come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. The Lord knows us in our pride. And when we think that we are hiding, he sees. And oh, may we be reminded that we are blinded by our sin. And may we not be the ones who proclaim, I am. There is only one that can do that. And oh, he is the just judge. God is also the gracious comforter of his people. He would be right in his holiness and in his justice to condemn people and to give up on humanity. Yet he is gracious and he chooses to comfort people even in their struggles and in their sin. Isaiah 40 verses 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The Lord seeks to comfort his people. In Isaiah 43, verses 24 and 25, But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. And yet I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. He is a gracious comforter. Hallelujah for that. God is also the only Savior. Isaiah 6, verses 6 and 7. Here, we're continuing in the passage with Isaiah's call, where he's, he's got this vision of the Lord in his temple. After he says, woe is me. I am unclean. Then one of the seraphim flew to him. He says, it flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isn't it amazing? The wonder that the holy God is also the Savior. He is the only one who can atone for our sins. He is the only one that can take our guilt away. And this passage of Isaiah's calling gives a picture of the message that is woven throughout the rest of the book of Isaiah because that is God's desire for Israel and Judah and for all of the world. He wants to purify, to forgive, sinners who come to him and enable them to enjoy his presence and glory. Isaiah 40, 43 verses 10 to 13. You are my witnesses, declare the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. 
also henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? That last verse has been so meaningful to me over these recent weeks. Right now, my husband and I are seeking to plan to move. We have a contract on our house, but lots of things need to come together before we are able to take this next step. And even right now, at this very moment, there's a home inspection taking place at my 80-year-old home. And so there are things that I'm needing to trust the Lord with. And this vision of God telling his people who are in exile that he's bigger than the Babylonians and that he proclaims, I work, and who can turn it back? This has been such a source of strength for me. The Lord is the same God. And from Isaiah's day, from when the people were in exile in Babylon, as he is today, he is the one who is working out his purposes. And he has worked out the greatest problem that we will ever face, the problem of our sin and being separated from God. He has provided the solution through, through offering salvation through Jesus. So surely I can trust that he is still working and that he will lead and provide. And when he works, no one or no thing can turn it back. Another scripture about our God as Savior, the only Savior. Isaiah 45, verses 18 to 21. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. It, I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God, that's G-O-D with a small g, to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. May we be ones who are proclaiming this today, ladies. He is God. There is no other Savior. And hallelujah, we have received salvation through his Son, Jesus Christ. And we also see the theme of God the Messiah, the suffering servant. Isaiah foretold that God would send a servant who would be faithful. You see, Israel had been unfaithful. There would be one who would be the faithful servant. And the burden of Israel's sin and the sins of the whole world would be laid on this one suffering servant. 
His suffering would atone for humanity's sin, and he would be victorious in restoring to God all those who come to him in repentance and trust. So a familiar servant song, Isaiah 53, just verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thank you, Jesus for suffering on our behalf and being victorious over sin and death. And last but not least, God is the restorer of creation. Isaiah 61, 10, verses 62, 2. This is Isaiah speaking, or possibly even the Messiah himself. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause, cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness. So Israel and Judah would look forward to, to the day when they could fill their, fulfill their calling to be a light to the nations and all of God's people still even now look forward to a day when the Lord will compete, complete his work of redemption and restoration that has been, has been begun in Jesus. And so I as I close today, let's think that back to those waves along the shore. And ladies, as we are studying these images in the book of Isaiah, may they, there be wave upon wave upon wave that comes, that reveals more of who God is to us. And may we be reminded that though there this there's an onslaught of judgment that we deserve. There's wave upon wave of God's mercy. There's wave upon wave of his power and his glory and his holiness. And he is working out his plans that he foretold through Isaiah long ago. He's continuing to fulfill them even today. So this is my prayer. As we close today, let's pray together. Lord, may we catch a glimpse of the heavenly throne room. 
may we catch a vision of who you are in all of your glory and holiness and power and mercy and justice. Thank you that you have provided the solution to our greatest and deepest need, to our sin, that you have promised salvation and brought it through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we be ones who are reflecting and shining with your light in this world because we are walking in the light of your presence, because we are ones that know you. Lord, help us to know you more and reflect you more day by day. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.